Previously this year I did a series on the things that I can see. Um, there are a lot of things that we can't see in life, but there are some things that we can see about the future and that's God's promises. Now that doesn't mean we always know why God does what he does. I'm reminded of an old story about a farmer who had a horse that ran away. And the farmer's fr uh, friends, uh, his neighbors came over and they said, oh farmer, what a bad thing that your horse ran away. And the farmer said, no, no, you say too much. We don't know what's good or bad, do we, in the things that happen. Um, all you should say is that my horse has run away. Well, of course, the next day that horse came back leading 11 other horses into the corral with them and the, the neighbors came over and they said, oh, farmer, we know what you mean now. It's a good thing that your horse ran away. And the farmer said, no, no, you say too much. Uh, we don't know what's good or bad. You should only say that I have 12 horses now. And of course, the next day, um, his son, the farmer's son, broke his leg, breaking those horses. And the neighbors came over and they said, oh, farmer, we know what you mean. Those horses are a bad thing. And the farmer said, no, 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 always, always you say too much. You should only say my son has a broken leg. And then, of course, not long after that, the country went to war and all the young men had to go fight in the battle, except for the ones with broken legs. And the neighbors came over and the farmer said, ah, don't say too much. Now, do you see the point? We say too much when we challenge um, why God does what he does in our lives. Um, we need to remember what he says in Isaiah 55 verse 9. He says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, we say too much when we say, I know exactly why God did this or why he did that. We should only say, I know God's plan for me eternally, and then focus on the things that we can see, his promises. The reason I can tell you for fact that when those negative things or the bad things from our perspective that happen in your life happen, I can tell you that, that it's not because God's angry with you. It's not because God is getting even with you. I can tell you that for one simple reason. We have his promise. He forgives you. And don't overlook that daily miracle. In fact, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you. I absolutely love that picture. How far is the east from the west? Well, if I start walking east, how far do I have to walk east before I start heading west? <laughs> it, you don't, right? Um, the east and west are infinitely far apart. That is how God has forgiven you. In fact, that picture is a picture from the Old Testament where God sends away sin. It's the scapegoat of Leviticus chapter 16. Now, I know sometimes we look at Leviticus and we think, well, that's a boring book, but Leviticus 16, that's a biggie. Um, and I would encourage you to read it. That's the, that's the chapter about the Day of Atonement. So do you remember what happened to the scapegoat? Uh, what happened was that the high priest took all the sins of the people and he placed them on the goat's head. And then that goat was led out into the desert, never to be seen again. Do you see what God was teaching about the way he forgives? We sin, but that goat gets led away. We sin, but the goat dies in our place. Finally, it was a picture of Jesus. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. What happened there? God placed all the sins of the whole world on Jesus. And then he led him away from his presence when he turned his back on him on the cross. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We sin, but Jesus got led away. We sin, but Jesus died in our place and it's because of that that now we can look at whatever happens in our life and we can say it's good because God is good. How can the one who loved me to death on a cross ever hurt me? The answer is, he can't.
And it doesn't mean life is going to be easy, but it does mean God is leading you to his side in heaven. Let's pray. Strengthen me, O gracious Lord, by your spirit and your word. When my wayward heart would stray, keep me in the narrow way. Grace in time of need supply, while I live and when I die. Amen. There is so much that we can't see. You know, as I think about my life, I'm so thankful that I was born into a Christian family that taught me about Jesus. That fact has had more of an impact on my life than probably anything else. Now, as a parish pastor, um, and even as a professor now, I, I, I used to get a, a question that I would consider one of the hardest questions to answer. It, it's when people say, would say, well, what about the person who's never heard about Jesus? What happens to them when they die? Now, the reason I say it's the hardest question is not because Scripture's answer is very difficult to find. It's because the truth is kind of a hard one to swallow. The truth is that there were periods in the world's history when everyone in the world knew of the Savior God. Um, you think of Adam and Eve in the garden. The whole world knew, right? Um, or Noah and his family after the flood. The whole world knew who God was. Uh, some people will even make the argument that around the time of the apostles, because of their missionary activity, um, the, the histories kind of seem to say that maybe the gospel was throughout the whole world at that time too. And, and some people even say today, through missionary activity and, and, and technology and the internet, that the gospel has made it to the whole world. Well, but what happened? Why doesn't everybody know who Jesus is? Well, it's because some didn't pass on their faith to the next generation. Um, and that just has ripple effects so that entire nations end up losing the gospel. When God described himself in the Bible, he described himself this way. He says in Exodus 34, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now what in the world does he mean by that? Punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Well, we know from Scripture that God doesn't punish you for someone else's sins. In Ezekiel, it's very clear. If a person dies, it's for his own sin. So what, is, what does this passage mean? Well, it's this. Just as you can pass on positive characteristics to your children, you can also pass on negative characteristics. So an illustration would be, how do you teach your kids, not that you would ever want to teach them this, but how do you teach your kids to be greedy? Well, be greedy yourself and they will be greedy as well. It'll be their sin, but it started as your sin, the sin of the father, the sin of the, the mother. Uh, the same is true with unbelief. Unbelief can be handed down. Uh, if parents choose not to hand on the faith to the next generation, well, then that unbelief will go from that generation to the next one to the next one. Again, it'll be their sin, but it really started as the sins of the parents. And so what does that mean for you and me? Well. It means we need to take so seriously Jesus' encouragement, his command, the great commission to go into all the world. It starts with your mission field. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, there's an account in the Bible where Jesus healed a man who had many demons inside of him. And afterwards, the man did something very natural. He said, Jesus, I want to come with you. And Jesus said, no, go home and tell them what I've done for you. And the man went home and told them, and next time Jesus came to that region, he was welcomed with open arms. Do you see the point? Your mission field is in your home. Now, in, other, in another video, I, I, I told you, I shared the stats with you about how 
if, if mom and dad drop their child off, let's call him little Johnny, off at church but don't go with him, the chances of little Johnny going to church when he gets older are less than 5%. Now, if just mom goes with little Johnny, those stats go up to 15 to 20%. If just dad goes with little Johnny, the stats go up to like to 75%. And if both mom and dad go with little Johnny, the stats are at 95 plus percent. Now, first of all, fathers, realize how important you are in the spiritual development of your children. But also, um, I said in the other video, uh, don't take that to mean that, that moms are not incredibly important. I always say I owe um, so much of my faith to my mom. I mean, she was the one who did devotions with us and prayed with us and sang hymns with us and lived Jesus for us. Um, and, I, and I've said that I always wanted someone to make um, uh, a painting, like a Norman Rockwell style painting, um, of a, a scene that is burned into my mind from when I was uh, a little kid. It was this scene. So I had a paper route and uh, mom would make sure that we were up for the paper route. All my brothers and sisters had it too. Um, and so she would wake up at four in the morning and I would come into the kitchen with groggy eyes to the same scene. It was of my mom leaning over the counter under a single light bulb reading the Bible. This image has made an incredible um, impression on me and my faith life. And I thank my friend Jason Jasperson for actually painting it for me. Um, here's the thing, you don't know what's going to happen with your kids in the future, but you do know what God tells you to equip your kids for the future. Point them to Jesus, point them to His cross, point them to His word and His promises. Teach them to pray, Lord Jesus, since you love me, now spread your wings above me and shield me from alarm. Though Satan would assail me, your mercies will not fail me. I rest in your protecting arms. Amen. This week, um, instead of focusing on speculating on things we can't say, see, we're, we're looking at the things that we can see. And today's may seem a little bit strange to you. We can see God's promise of angels. And maybe some of you are thinking, what? I've never seen an angel. Have you seen an angel? I'm guessing most of us would say, no, we have not. But there is a passage in scripture that whenever I read it, it sends shivers down my spine. It's from Hebrews chapter 13 and this is what it says. It says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I, that is an amazing thought, isn't it? Maybe you've entertained angels without, without even knowing it. Um, that's an incredible thought. Now, in the past, I've shared with you angel stories about um, what happened to my family, what happened to me, um, and those are, those are incredible stories, those kind of stories where you think, man, it had to have been an angel. Uh, but you look into the Bible and you see, you see angel stories there, right? You see an angel wiping out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in a single night that were threatening Jerusalem. Wow! You open up the Bible and you see um, angels with flaming swords completely surrounding an Aramean army that was out to get Elisha and, and his servant at Dothan and, and God saved them. Wow! But the Bible seems to indicate that a lot of the angelic activity is actually a little, little lower key than that. Um, if we're saved from a big accident, oh wow, okay, we're going to tell people, we're going to thank the Lord for our lives, but safe after an uneventful trip? Eh, no big deal, right? Well, we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful about thinking that God is only working in the extraordinary and he doesn't work in the ordinary affairs of everyday life. We don't know um, how often angels are actually responsible for, for helping us. I, I think of one illustration from my life. I was driving on a four-lane highway 
and I had, um, I was going 65, 64 and a half miles an hour, and it was like one with a, one of those ditches in the middle of the four lanes with kind of some woods and stuff like that. And suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I see a deer going full bore, and it was one of those situations where you know, I can't even tap the brakes. I'm gonna obliterate this deer, and this deer is gonna obliterate me. And then the most amazing thing happened. He just stumbled for a fraction of a second and he kept charging and he went directly behind my car. I mean, he must have missed my car by less than a foot. And I sometimes wonder, was there an angel that just kind of stuck out a wing and made him trip for just a second? I don't know. Uh, but, I, but that seems to be the way that angels also act, not just in extraordinary ways, but in ordinary ways. In heaven, I think we're going to find out all those ways that angels did help us, like, um, like when something caused you to turn left instead of right, when both could have gotten you to your destination in the end, uh, but the way to the right, there was an accident waiting for you, but you went left instead. Or, or when you're in the grocery store and something caused you to pick the head of the lettuce on, on uh, the right instead of the left where the E. coli was, uh, was lurking for you. I don't know. We're going to find out in heaven all the ways that angels helped us. But understand the greatest way that angels helped us was the day when they did nothing. It was the day when God the Father held back the armies of angels as they watched their King Jesus die on a cross. That saved us not just temporally, that saved us eternally. You see, most of God's gifts are not gaudy and dazzling. They're wrapped in simple brown paper. You know, picking up a paycheck, a safe trip to work, the health of children, all in an ordinary day's work for our God. And we have to understand that God is not just the God of the extraordinary, but also of the ordinary. And so whichever way he's helped us, this I can tell you for sure, because this I can see. You do have angel stories, even if you don't know about them, because God promises in his word, and he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for the protection you provide us through angels. Though we don't see them, we know they are there guarding us in all our ways because your word says it's true. Send your holy angels to protect us today. In your name we pray it. Amen. As Christians, we take comfort in the passage from Romans 8.28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who, has, who have been called according to his purpose. But we also have to understand that that passage can seem like cold comfort to people who have really been dealt a blow by life, right? Because we don't always see the good that God accomplishes. I think about the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. Remember Joseph? He was child number 11 of 12 um, and he had kind of a charmed life until, well, because of that favoritism, his brothers ended up hating him. They hated him so much that they sold him into slavery. He was a slave in Egypt and and, and while there, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, liked him and wanted to go to bed with him, but he refused and so she made up a lie and she said that he tried to rape her. And so then he ended up going to the, to, to the dungeon, to the jail, um, because of a false accusation. And there in jail, he helped a, a cupbearer interpret a dream, who was the cupbearer of the king. And he asked the cupbearer when he was being released to remember him before the king, but that cupbearer forgot and so he languished in prison. Okay, so now you're Joseph's friend and you visit him in prison and you say to him, but Joseph, it's okay. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. But what would Joseph's response be? Like, he can't see the good. He, 
You might be glad that there are bars that separate you from Joseph. He'd be saying, what? That, how can that be? But eventually Joseph did get out. And eventually he interpreted a dream for the Pharaoh um, where there would be seven years of plenty in Egypt and seven years of famine, actually a worldwide famine. And because of that, God was able to provide for people, millions and millions of people, where Egypt literally fed the world during a famine, including Joseph's family, including Judah, number four, through whom the line of the Savior would come. Now think about it this way. If all of those things didn't happen to Joseph that landed him in Egypt in that position before Pharaoh, his family would have starved. Millions would have died, including Judah, through whom the Savior of the world would come. In other words, if all that doesn't happen to Judah, or it doesn't happen to Joseph, you don't have a Savior. Now, could Joseph have possibly seen that when he was going through it? No. And that's the thing. We can't always see the good that God has in mind for our lives, but we can see his promise. Your future will be good. I think of that when I think of my sister Erica. So my sister Erica was, when I was in high school, was killed by a drunk driver. Um, it was his 10th uh, drunk driving offense. Um, and he was, he was not remorseful at all. And I remember when it happened, I was, I was angry. I was angry at him for getting behind the wheel after he'd been drinking. I was angry with the state for allowing him on the road after nine DUIs. Um, and I probably wouldn't admit it at the time, but I was probably a little angry at God for letting it all happen. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I'm not going to say that I see all of the good things that God brought out of that situation, but, but I can see glimpses. I can see some. I, I know I took great comfort in a passage from Isaiah chapter 57. It says, The righteous perish and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. The righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Who knows? Maybe, maybe God knew that my sister, something awful was going to happen in her life and he was trying to spare her from it. Maybe God knew that, that something was going to happen in my sister's life where it would actually lead her away from faith and so he took her um, before that would happen. And if that's the case, then I will be eternally grateful it took something like this happening for me to have that perspective. Good. Because this happened, it actually drew me closer to my Savior. Good. Uh, because this happened, it gave my family a chance to live our faith and live our confidence in God's promises. And I can't tell you how many stories of people I've heard who have said that that had an impact on their lives. Good. I got to see an example of true forgiveness as I watched my father read a letter in court at the sentencing and he didn't do what a lot of people do by tearing down the man who did this to his daughter. Instead, he did the seeming, seemingly unthinkable. He forgave. He pointed that man to Jesus' cross. He pointed that man to his forgiveness in Jesus. That may have been the only time that man ever heard that in his life. I know that my sister died in faith and that one day I'll see her in heaven. Good. Let's pray. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, 
Abide with me. Amen. As we close this week considering things that we can see, I think it's important for us to look at those things in the context of the uncertainties of life from our perspective. Because the truth is that God's Word does not have an answer for every specific thing in our life, but God's Word always has something to say, always has guidance for our life. Just one example from my life. A few years ago, my wife um, had a miscarriage. And uh, talk about feelings of uncertainty. Maybe many of you can relate. Um, the question that, that parents always have when that happens is, where is my baby? What happened to my baby? Um, and there, we want to look at what Scripture says, but we can't say too much. So we have to look at what we can see. And what I can see from Scripture is that that baby was born sinful even from the time of conception and needs a Savior. I can also see that Jesus loved that baby and the whole world so much that he came to die on the cross to take away the whole world's sin, that baby's sin. Um, I also know that the psalmist says, my times are in your hands, O God, which in itself is, is an awful lot of comfort. In other words, this was not a mistake. This was not outside of God's control. This was not a whoops. And that's comforting, especially for the mother who so often thinks at times like that, what did I do wrong? And here God is saying, no, your times, they're in my hands, right? And, and I can also see um, from God's word that those are the hands that hold my baby. Now, would I love for my hands to be holding that baby? Um, absolutely. But could you argue that the hands that hold it, the ones that bear the marks of the cross, the marks of love for that baby and uh, for uh, and show that love for that baby, that those are better hands than mine? Absolutely. Now, do you see what I did? I didn't say too much. I simply rejoiced in who God is. And that can be tough sometimes because I want to I wanna know, right? Or another example would be when I was uh, very early on in ministry, I, I had a, I'm not going to go into details, but had a very difficult thing happen that made my life uh, quite difficult for a time, and I felt like I was all alone leading this massive congregation. And of course, you know, in hindsight, um, it was the Lord who was in control, and He blessed that congregation with so many wonderful, capable leaders. But even so, I remember thinking, "But I am weak. I can't do this. I'm not. I'm not equipped for this." It made me feel like the Apostle Paul crying out to God in 2 Corinthians 12 um, where he says, uh, he says, take this thorn from me. And God's answer to him wasn't exactly what Paul was expecting. God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God can use our weaknesses too in his plan. I think a story, uh, of a story I heard about a, about a boy who had a tragic accident and he lost his left arm in this accident and it sent him kind of into a tailspin. Well, after a few months he felt like he needed to do something to get back to life. So he decided of all things to study judo. And so he's studying judo for a few months and, and realizes after a few months he only knows one move and so he says to his sensei, Sensei, shouldn't I know more than one move? And the sensei just said, that's the only move you'll ever need to know. And so the boy didn't quite understand but he kept training and after a couple more months um, his sensei took him to his first tournament. Now, much to the boy's surprise, uh, he actually did really well in the tournament. He, he beat his first opponents very easily, and now he was in the championship, and, and his opponent was bigger, stronger, faster. And as the match began, um, the ref was actually worried that the boy was going to get hurt, and so he called a timeout. 
Well, after the timeout, the, the, the match resumed and his opponent let down his guard for just a second. And the boy used his move and he threw him and he pinned him to the ground. He was the champion. So now on the way back from the tournament, he mustered up the courage to ask his sensei what was really on his mind. He said, sensei, how in the world did I win the tournament with just one move? And the sensei said, well, you won for two reasons. First, you've nearly mastered one of the most difficult throws in all of judo. And second, the only known defense against that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. In other words, the boy's greatest weakness had become his greatest strength. And God can use our weaknesses like that too in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And that maybe is a, another good point to make. Isaiah 55, God describes himself, he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. <laughs> you aren't kidding. I would have never thought to send my only son to save you and me, but God did. And that's the God who is with you now and throughout this year and always. Let's pray. My heart for joy is springing and can no more be sad. Tis full of joy and singing, sees only sunshine glad. The sun that cheers my spirit is Jesus Christ my King. The heaven I shall inherit makes me rejoice and sing. Amen. Hey, what's up everyone? Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. Uh, we certainly would love this message to reach more and more people. So if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing this podcast, it would bring it to more people's eyes and we pray this message into more people's hearts. Thanks for your support and we'll talk to you soon.